All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Straight Out of Crumpton. I'm your host, Tyler Kern, joined as always by my co host, partner in crime, at least in a podcast sense, Mr. Greg Crumpton. Greg, how are you today, sir? Well, Tyler, I'm doing great. And if I've got to be a partner in crime, I'm proud to be yours, buddy. I'll tell you that. Yeah, some highbrow white collar crime we're getting Absolutely. into. Absolutely. Off we go to the penitentiary golf course. So Exactly. Um, no, man, doing good. Busy week, great week, kind of full of educational stuff this week. Chance to go out and spend some time at a uh, technical school yesterday. Met the HVAC program lead. Then tomorrow, going to meet some more good people in the training world. So it's a skilled trades kind of week with a little safety sprinkled in for good measure. Love that. Greg loves himself some education and teaching the next generation of skilled tradesmen and women. So awesome stuff. If you're new to the podcast, that is a constant theme throughout lots of the episodes. Go check them out on uh, gregcrumpton.com or on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. But today we are thrilled and proud to welcome Gina and Rich Camacho to the podcast. Gina and Rich, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having us. Howdy. Appreciate it. Well, this is going to be a good one, Tyler. This is, I think, our first husband and wife combo. Well, thank you guys for taking time with us this morning. You know, we love to talk about people and how industry and relationships and all that blend together. So obviously you guys have figured that out, or at least you're not arguing at this moment. My wife and I also worked together for a long time, and that requires a special set of uh, skills to be able to separate and combine when appropriate. So that's really cool. want to hear some more about that. But before we do, tell us a little bit about Gina and Rich and how you guys wound up being on this spectacular podcast. Sure. So we have a, we co-founded a company called Blue Recruit, and we're a platform that connects skilled trades people with hiring companies. We founded our company almost three years ago. I can't believe it was almost three years ago, but October, 2019. And really the idea spawned from Rich has some experience in corporate recruiting. So he was in that industry for a few years. And my father, he was an auto body shop owner for decades. And he had put out a job post on, I think Indeed at the time, and said, hey, I put out a job post looking for a new auto body painter. I got a whole bunch of resumes for house painters. And he called Rich and is like, what did I do wrong? We got home, we're talking about the issue that my dad had, and we said, it's basically what's happening is it's looking for keyword searches. The word painter is in the job description, painter is in this person's resume, and so it matched those two together and it wasn't a match. So what we did is we created a platform that has a database of over almost 9,000 skills and certifications now. When we first launched, there was just over 5,000, but it allows someone looking for a job to create a profile, no resume required in about five minutes. And they can tell us what their skills are, their certifications, their experiences, what they're looking to pay. Are they looking for full-time night shift? And then we also allow employers on the flip side to search for job seekers and candidates based on that same criteria. I need someone with these certifications, these skills that's looking to work during this shift. And then we match them together. So it's a much more perfect match than what you see in platforms that have more of a job keyword search. So it's kind of like a, an enhanced smart SEO. So rather than just keying off painter, you're looking for painters with Emron paint that want to paint violet blue colors that have been doing it for 12 years. So you really categorize the person and match that with the, and I would assume the job 
scope, the requirement would be really particular too, so that your AI could do its magic. And I'm assuming it's AI with human oversight. Exactly. Yep. Yeah, we uh, we jokingly say that we've become the the match.com for plumbers. I like that. I think it makes sense because, you know, you asked Gina when this all started. I think it started 13 years ago because we actually got connected as a blind date on a golf-themed pub crawl. So I think naturally those things escalated to create a company that's based off of this. Yeah. See, I wouldn't have brought that up. (laughs) We've talked about it for a while. Like, how do we explain to kids how we met? Because I'm not going to tell my two-year-old daughter that I met her mother on a pub crawl. (laughs) And now she has this to look at. Great. (laughs) Well, I mean, you guys walked me through setting up a profile of myself, and then you showed me what a potential employer in our world, a contractor would be looking for. And it really, I mean, I love the specificity, the specific nature of both sides of the coin. You know, it really drills down and gets that really that true match, or at least, you know, as close as you can get without having the human piece coming into it. And then, you know, I thought it was really neat as well that you're able to do real time video chat with the potential employer, you just do it on the spot. I mean, it's so instantaneous where you get a feel for the person, whatever your bias or non-biased opinions are, you get to, you know, go ahead and just do it right there in real time. So really love that. So I guess I'm curious, and Rich alluded to it, the match for plumbers, but why skilled trades? Is it because of your background, Gina, and wet sanding auto 1969 Nova fenders with your dad that got you thinking that way? I mean, what what happened to go skilled trades hunting? Yeah, I think a big part of it is simply the lack of resources and features that are out there in the skilled trades. If I was out there looking for a job before this, you know, I'd put my information out there on LinkedIn or Indeed, and those platforms are great. We use them every single day, but they're just not built for the trades. As we know, the trades are very unique in the attributes and the skills that those roles need. And while we were digging more into this, we found out that the typical trades job requires four times more hard skills than your average white collar role. So while a resume or LinkedIn might be great to get somebody a sales job, Frankly, who cares how many great LinkedIn posts I do if I'm trying to service an HVAC unit? I either know what I'm doing or I don't. I either have that EPA certification or I don't. And so that's why we said, hey, you know what? We need something specifically for the blue collar industry. That's really well said. And, you know, I just wrote down a note a while ago when I was kind of, I actually do prep for these. People probably don't believe it, but I do prep. But uh, we had a lady on last week who will be coming up in a future episode and we talked about the, it's a little bit off track. I think it'll get us to where we're trying to, or where I, my brain's going. Typically, we have always thought about skilled trades workers as people who were not valedictorian material. This lady was, and she flipped the script and became an electrician, even though she had a super duper high intellect, did well in school, went to college, did all that stuff, and then became an electrician. It just really made me think about how we talk about who should be in the trades or who should we expose to the trades. And a lot of that comes down to, Rich, you said four times the hard skills. And I would juxtapose that with probably an equal number of soft skills. And I think that the way that your platform works allows you to check off both sides of that equation. You can check off the hard skills with the list of, you know, certifications I have or certificates or whatever. So you got the criteria, but then 
having the, the ability to go one on one and have that conversation, as far as I know, no other platform does on an instant basis, really allows you to vet that person from a communication style, or I think it does so much justice to the human side of the equation, let alone the theoretical, you know, paper side of the equation. So I just super duper applaud that because I think a really neat piece of your puzzle. The amazing part of this is we haven't put Greg on commission. (laughs) (laughs) He's just saying all this? Yeah, Yeah, he just just (laughs) says it. Wow. That's funny because people often ask me, and I, I do have business interest in a lot of different stuff, but the people always ask me, like, you're talking about, you know, this company or that company. Are you part of that? I'm like, no, man, it just works. I'm, I'm trying to help. The service logic pays my salary to help service logic, service logic companies and the industry at large. And if I can freaking have a podcast and talk about a tool, that helps society, let alone helps our industry, let alone helps our company, so be it. And if I sound like an infomercial, I'm cool with that. I just don't care, really, first of all. I'm old enough to where I don't officially have to any longer. But I just think it's good to talk about what works. And you guys have proven that your system works. Now, is it? there's other ways that work, sure. But I think the way you guys are doing it, and because it's skill trades related, you know, those are my people. And I relate to that in a really heavy way. And just like the time we spent yesterday at the tech school, Eric Bowen, my partner in crime at Service Logic, his whole job is training and talent development for our company and assisting our local companies with that and what do they need in order to get better locally. And that's understanding what's out there in the educational sense that's already built. We don't have to rebuild the wheel. I mean, there's a lot of people that do training. How do we blend that with our people, you know, and understanding that human element, as I was alluding to with your platform, you get do both. You know, they've got the curriculum built at Tri-County Tech, where I was yesterday. How do we get the most for our employees that are going there on the human side? And, you know, we talk about safety and we talk about that customer interaction, the conversation. Our guys, a lot of times, are first responders to I'm hot, I'm cold, there's water coming out of the ceiling, you know, whatever, parking lot's flooded. You really have to be almost, I don't know if first responders are the right word because that tends to be associated with human emergencies, not somebody hot, but first responder into that type of problem. So I'll clarify it. That human side, the, the skills really matter. And I love the fact that more people are becoming attuned to that not just a big guy or a big girl showing up, working on the air conditioner, fix the air conditioner, leave, here's your bill, but talking them through it. You know, what happened? How'd you find it? Who approved it? All of that stuff that we as consumers need to know, you're vetting. And I just think that's wonderful. All right, that's it for the infomercial. And that really matters. Like three weeks ago here at the office, the AC unit went down. And luckily, they're always across the unit parking lot, Piedmont. They're, they're right across the street from us, service logic company, came over. And they were super awesome. And immediately that when that happened, I was like, great. There goes five, six, seven grand. Comes over, takes a quick look. He's like, oh, yeah, th- this one thing is down. He's like, it's going to be 300 bucks. Is that okay? I'm like, yes, <laughs> like, absolutely. That's okay. Like, hurry up before you change your mind. Yeah. <laughs> And it was just like, that was one of those things where a super approachable, nice individual came over mm-hmm. and it's just really cool. Like it's, they're customers of ours. We're now customers of theirs. And it's a small community. Everyone's working together. They're just like you said, if you figure something out right, you're doing a good job. 
we can all succeed together. And so thank you for calling Piedmont. We appreciate that. But, you know, their culture is like that, Rich. They are a company of good people from the president who I have a personal friendship with down to the technician that I've never met before. I know that they're vetted as quality people and also have skills. And I say it in that order because there's so many tools out there now. And we talk about different platforms that our technicians use industry, not just service logic people, but XOI you know, is a tool that allows for really good help right away and they video it. So if you were out of town, Rich, she could have sent you a video and said, hey, here's the faulty part that kind of mentally validating it for you rather than like, oh, gosh, I hope this is really the right fix. So there's a lot of tools that go into the diagnostic piece, but being able to come to you and, and talk to you as a human is so cool. I'm, I'm glad you had that experience. So good stuff. So what's kind of on the roadmap? What do y'all, when you think about you're three years old, start a business, what happens? Let's have a pandemic. Why not? So I started my business. What happens? We have 9-11. You couldn't plan that kind of timing. It just happened. Your ability to adapt, adjust, and overcome and still be here on the other side of the pandemic and flourishing from what best I can tell, you're kind of over that initial hump. And then the next hump's always five years or whatever. What does that look like for you guys as you go toward your fifth year and, and beyond? What's your goal? Well, this one here just keeps building more and more features, but uh, I'll, I'll let her talk about some of the, the features we're doing. But you're talking about the three year. We're jokingly calling this three year anniversary the recession inflation or pandemic inflation recession party. So I love that. uh, that, that, that'll be the, th the theme for our three years every single year. So I don't know what year four is going to have, but I'm not looking forward <laughs> To whatever. I don't know what's worse than those three. No, man. Things come in three. So four is going to be spectacular. Yeah, you're good. Really what we've been focusing on is I'm a bit of a data nerd. So I can sit in front of an Excel spreadsheet for hours or days, unlike this one. I think that's kind of a married team can work. I like the things he doesn't and vice versa. The, the yin and yang. Exactly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so what we've been able to discover with the kind of the insights that we've gathered over the last three years is we are beginning to see what people are wanting to make in their specific area down to the zip code with the specific certifications that they have. And we're also able to see what employers are looking for to the zip code, to the certification. And it's been very interesting. And we've been using those data points and talking to our customers a lot. And for example, last week we were talking to a painting company. They were looking for general laborers and they're like, we, we can't find anyone. They were paying 15 to $17 an hour and they are providing on the job training as well. Well, we ran the numbers and we found out for the area that they are hiring in while a job seeker is willing to take $15 and 93 cents an hour. The average employer for the same job, they are paying $19 and 21 cents an hour. So they were paying way too less. Like they weren't paying enough. That's why they weren't able to get that talent. So even though job seekers are saying, hey, 15 bucks is what I need to make with the certifications and skills I have. But if companies are offering me 20 bucks an hour, I'm going to take it over a company that's paying me 16. So really what our plan is, is to take that data and insight and put it within our application. So as a company is searching for talent and they're saying this is how much this particular job is going to pay per hour, we can say 
in your area, you know, you're actually a little high. You can go down a little bit or you're low. If you want to have a better success rate, you need to come up to about this rate. And same thing with job seekers. We see there's always one in the group, general labor, no skills, and they want to make 60 bucks an hour. You're not going to make 60 <laughs> bucks an hour. I would love to make 60 bucks an hour. So educating them as well. And if they're saying, hey, I want to make 15 an hour, we can say, actually, people in your area with your skill set, you're looking at 19 bucks an hour. So increase your pay. So that's kind of the really exciting thing that we're working with. We're also about to partner with an organization called CQ. They work with the majority of the for-profit trade vocational schools in the country. And we are going to be working with them to launch a partnership to help the students within those schools get placed uh, with employers much faster. So that's something that's on the very close horizon for us in the next few months of a lot of those schools are struggling to get those students face-to-face -face connected with employers. And we're going to help them do that a lot faster. That is cool. I love the, let me help you help yourself feature is what I call it, as you just described it, either underpaying or overpaying. A lot of people don't know, you know, you have to go Unfortunately, a lot of times it's your gut or what your current employees are willing to work for is your guide. And you may be underpaying and not only for recruiting, but for retention. I think that could be a really good tool as well, because, you know, I mean, as, as passionate as we are about the companies that pay us and, and we want to take care of them, you know, three bucks an hour, is a lot of money when maybe you're starting your career or changing careers it can be a big delta. So I appreciate that. I think that's really neat. So I always find it interesting when people start companies from scratch because I did and because my wife and I did and my partners and some of these smaller ventures I'm part of did. I always find it interesting of who your early supporters are and why they supported you, not just friends and family seed money to get capital raised to start, but your early adopters who Maybe a better question. How did you talk to people that you wanted to early about using your platform? What were some of those conversations like? Because, you know, at the end of the day, when we exchange or do commerce with somebody, we do it on trust. And sometimes when you're starting, it's blind faith. I believe in Gina. I believe in Rich. I'm going to give them a crack. How did you guys go to market? We think we have something really cool here, but we really need somebody to try it, to prove it. How did y'all do that? It's funny. Our, the very first contract, we don't even have contracts anymore, but you know, back when we first started, it was, it was your traditional, here's a contract. We're going to do X amount, X, Y, and Z for, uh, for this many dollars. But our very first ever signed contract was with Benjamin Moore. And we were sitting there and the, the two of us, it was, it was middle of COVID. So we're in the, I think we we're in the living room and the number four at Benjamin Moore is like, hey, I really like this. This looks really cool. I want to use it. And I want to use it at all 29 of our of our uh, manufacturing facilities. And we're like, we can't possibly support this. <laughs> like, there's absolutely no way we can provide Benjamin Moore with their 500 plus hires a month in 29 different locations. And I, I think you, you nailed it, Greg, was the very first thing that I did was, hey, we literally launched this company like three weeks ago. We can't do that. And the number four, Benjamin Moore, he's the, the head of talent in HR. He's like, you know what? I actually really, really respect that you just admitted to this because you just basically threw away 
tens of thousands of dollars. I would have canceled the contract, of course, and probably by the third week. He's like, but I actually started a couple. He's originally from London. He's like, I started a couple startups in, in England. I'd love to just dive into this with you and see how I can help. And for about the next month, we were having weekly meetings with him and he would go through the system, give us his suggestions, let us know, hey, there's no way a Fortune 500 American company is going to agree to this. Hey, you got to add this in order for this to work, do X, Y, and Z. He's like, we don't need this. And it was just really like a, almost a passion project of his. And to this day, some of those initial suggestions that still has determined the pricing model that we still operate with. And it really was, I think, when it came down to it, the fact that we said, no, we can't honestly accept your money. We, we, there's no way we could ever fulfill this contract. And I think that it was like, hey, these are good people and I'm going to just help them out. You know, we'll always be in debt to that assistance. I think that is so heartwarming story for sure, because. I think most entrepreneurs have had that or, or similar, you know, somebody that took a leap of faith with you. But today, I think it's 30, 23 years ago today, we started our company and my wife and I in our bonus room, we didn't have COVID, but we were together in the bonus room. And I remember the first contract we got. I think those things stick with you. To your point, it's only been three years for you guys. It's been 23 for me. But I remember where I was, how I asked her the question, being the customer. And then once she was kind enough to grant the wish, which was to give us an opportunity, I didn't have enough cooth to ask that we get paid in advance because I didn't have <laughs> enough money for what I was trying to pull off. And similar to what your fellow Ben Moore said, she said, okay, because I want this to work for all of us. And it was not a lot of money, but it helped me bring on the first technician that provided our first bit of running money for him. It's a long story of how we got to that point, but point being similar that she took a chance on us because we had validated while we were doing what we we're doing. She had been involved in the process and, and understood what we were doing. So that's really neat that, that you guys had that experience and those people always just, they, they remain in that soft spot for us. You know, when we think about how we got to where we are, wherever we wind up, they were part of it. So really, really cool. Tyler, what do you think about it? I mean, you're in a business of dealing with people and are you able to kind of foresee what they're doing? Does that make sense to you when you hear about it? One of the big things about my role used to be that I used to always just look at the day-to-day -day and see my schedule and say, okay, this is what I need to accomplish today. But as I've gotten elevated in my career and, and changed roles and that sort of thing, I've had a harder time zooming out and seeing the bigger picture and saying, here's where we'd like to go in a month, in six months, in a year. And that transition has been really interesting. And I'm always curious how people either make that transition or find that they are better at one versus the other. Cause I was really good at having a list of 10 things that I needed to accomplish today, but not as good at finding the five things that I want to be different about my department, my team, my people in six months. Right. And that's been my challenge personally. And I'm curious how y'all balance that idea of here's what needs to change today, but also keeping a roadmap for the next year, three years, five years, whatever, you know, however far down the road you look. And I think that not even just in our personal or pro professional life, but also our personal life, that's how the two of us work together, is Rich will come up with these big ideas 
And then I have to tell him, hold on, let me figure out if that's possible. I then go and I look at all of the data, the resources and say, okay, here's our two or three options that we have. This is going to be the fastest, the cheapest, or this is going to be the longest, most expensive, but we're going to be able to get these additional things if we go this route. And then we're working together to kind of put those plans in place. And I do the same in the same thing. I'm like, hey, I discovered this really cool thing that we didn't realize we could do with our platform. And then he's got 10 ideas that just came out of that. So I don't No, like Tyler, I don't know that you'll be able to change your ways. I think it's ingrained in us. And luckily we are on different sides of the coin because if I start thinking big picture, I usually, he'll shoot me down pretty easily. Be like, eh, no, that's that's not going to (laughs) work. And the same thing with his details and kind of getting things done. I'm like, nah, you completely missed these other 10 things we had to consider. So it really, we don't really switch roles very often. And every now and then we argue about some things, but For the most part, yeah, he's kind of portraying the vision, the big picture, and I'm just making sure that it's possible and it gets done. Even in personal life, we're redoing the house right now, and I'll gut the the bathroom and redo it. I don't paint it because I can't. I don't even have that detail. Like, oh, (laughs) why is there paint on the floor? I don't know. (laughs) It fell off the brush. Yeah. (laughs) You guys remind me, but in the inverse of my cousins, who I am in business with, she as he calls her, is the idea fairy. And then he has to figure out how they're going to, or if they can implement the idea. And she's got like a post-it note factory hanging behind her of all these ideas that pop in her head. And it's funny to hear the inverse of that on you guys. But that's what it takes, you know? I mean, my wife and I are a lot different in the same way. You know, she's more art and I'm more straight line. And Hell, I can hardly write my name, much less draw something or paint, but it makes it work. You know, you kind of bring that value and God knows it's frustrating sometimes because you just want to say, just do it and hush and trust me. But, you know, you can as a, well, you can, but it's usually not a good outcome when you do say that. But yeah, that's really neat. It's fun to watch companies that are going through their early stages of growth like you guys are because everything's so fluid, you know, what you think is going to be or what you'd like to see in five years, there's no dang telling what it's going to look like in five years because the market's going to dictate what you do and how you tweak your your platform. And, you know, enhancements are coming in a digital way that we don't even understand yet, which is fun and scary. How do you plan for the unknown? You have to set a, a mark and you go towards it until... The next North Star shows up and then you go that way. But having that discipline is tough. It just is. But that grind is what makes companies stick. Being able to adapt, adjust, and overcome while preserving that human side of it and being user-friendly and not becoming automated to a fault. Because I think there's plenty of uh, full-blown software analytics types companies that are full digital. There's no human interaction. And I think, you know, back to to what I was saying earlier, the ability for you guys to have that, it is important. I think use both sides of our brain, you know, use the engineering, the straight lines, the spreadsheet, 
but also blend in that human because it's what we're all consumers. I, I say this darn near every podcast, but we know what feels good to us. Why in the world don't we create more of what we like? Because we're not that different than everybody else. We just think we are. And if we like something and it feels good in an exchange or in a purchase, likely other people are going to enjoy that experience. So, I mean, if you hit 80% of the people and make them happy with what you like, then you can tweak the 20 to the people who just, hell, 5% are never going to be happy about anything. But I just think that's important to keep that human side of it. It's hard to do because in these three years and people that we've talked to between investors, large companies, they'll ask us to do things and we've just had to learn to say no. <laughs> and it's not easy. And sometimes in six months, it's like, actually, that idea they had makes sense now for our company. Six months ago, it didn't. But now it does. Or other times in six months, we're like, that idea, had we done it, would have never worked. So we're really glad that we said no. White labeling. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's. it's funny. I was putting together, we have a meeting that recurs every few months. And I was putting together the agenda for, for the meeting tomorrow. And I was looking three months ago. And some of the ideas that we had or some of the things we talked about, I was like, man, we're not even doing those anymore. It's funny to see how quickly three months can change a startup. But none of those things impacted our ability. Like it was, it was just one of those things, like we thought it was so important three months ago and now three months later, it's not. And we have 10 more good things to have replaced the things that didn't work out. So yeah, it's, it's definitely a crazy thing to be running a startup. <laughs> Entrepreneurs, we're kind of like kids, you know, like whatever's really, really important at that moment seems like the the, the thing of the universe. And it's like a kid, you know, they drop their lollipop and they're all stressed out about it. Well, in five minutes, they forgot it. We have to kind of be that way too as entrepreneurs, because if somebody tells you an end user or an advisor or a customer says that sucks, you better listen to them. And yet it might hurt our feelings right now. You're like, well, gosh, I really like that part of our platform. But if our the people paying the bills think it sucks. We need to reevaluate. So I think we really, as a entity, have to be willing to hear the not good stuff and adapt to it. Emotions aside, which is hard, you know, because most people that start businesses are passionate about the business or they wouldn't be in business. They'd just be working for the man. I think that's really, really neat. But I think that the people... People win, you know, regardless. As I said it a while ago, you can automate and digitize everything, but you still have to have that human interaction. Just like you said, Rich, with the with the guy that came over on the air conditioning, anybody could have swapped the faulty part out had they been able to diagnose it properly. But how was it communicated? Did I, did I feel good about writing that check or swiping my card? So I just I'm, now I've got my brains on a rooftop working on an air conditioner. So I got to I got to bring it back in. That's just, I mean, that's where my heart is because I, I think about, you know, our folks out there serving. I think about the old lady downstairs putting up the wallpaper. And this is a great example of what we're not doing as a country. This lady is not young. She's fit, but she's 68 years old. She hangs wallpaper every day for a living, but yet she doesn't have an understudy or an apprentice with her. And I was talking to Connie because it's kind of a two-phase thing. We had to move some stuff and then she came back to do part two. So we were talking about it after part one. And I'm like, God, it would be so cool 
if somebody could see the value that Tracy is her name is going to quit hanging wallpaper one day, obviously. Where's her understudy? Who's going to take that bulk of work that she's doing and serving this community? There's going to be a void because there's nobody coming behind learning the nuances that she does. And she is super personable. She understands everything about working in somebody's existing home. It's not a new construction job. You have to act differently when you're in a house. But she's, you know, A, she's not training anybody because it doesn't behoove her to. But man, somebody that was just out of high school that didn't want to go to college, what a heck of an apprenticeship that would be to, you know, some way find out how to how to fund them while they learned. Is that a wallpaper store that sells Tracy wallpaper that wants to protect their revenue stream long term? Do they do some kind of scholarshiping? I'm just always thinking about ways because I get the fact that, believe me, everything's expensive. Put $175 worth of fuel in my truck the other day. But how do we make sure that people have, have enough income to feed themselves while they're learning a trade? but there's not enough money in this wallpaper job to pay for two people. So is that through scholarships? Is it companies? And, and I won't call paint company by name, but a paint company of that magnitude, are there scholarship dollars available where they could underwrite an apprenticeship? And I thought about it yesterday when I left the tech school, are there manufacturers out there? And instead of buying one more ad to go in one more trade magazine, could they fund a scholarship for a year for a young person? You know, I'm just always trying to think of how do, how do we pay for young people to get exposure? Maybe you fund it for a quarter or a semester and to see if they like it. I don't know. I'm just always trying to figure that piece out. And it's not easy because people got to live while they're learning. Do y'all have the secret sauce for that figured out yet? <laughs> So we're, we're we're not ready to release all the details on on what's coming down the chute, but we've got a we've got two partnerships that we're going to work really closely with, or that we're already working really closely with right now, and we're going to highlight schools, organizations across the country that are in fact training up young people in in interesting ways. And it's like, hey, here's the here's the, tr the typical way of doing it. Here's some really neat ways where exactly that people still have to feed themselves maybe have to feed a family living is not living is not uh, not cheap and i don't think anyone can possibly make that argument right now so we're going to be releasing a series here shortly and one of the big asks that we're going to ask of the industry because like you said earlier greg this is no one company is going to do this by themselves is hey here's ways that y'all can get involved and how you can help out because i think you nailed it where cool that wallpaper manufacturer, yeah, you should care because guess mm -hmm. what? You're, who are you going to be making this stuff for? Because because Greg's not going to hang his own wallpaper, and so we need to figure out who's going to who's going to fix that HVAC unit, who's going to hang that wallpaper, who's going to paint those walls because somebody has to has to start learning how to do it now. Yeah, I mean it, it's it's like future revenue protection for them. For every, I mean, I, I don't know how wallpaper is sold by the roll, I guess, but if there's not X amount of people buying it, you're not going to sell it because that's a, a labor intensive job. You can only hang so many pieces or rolls or whatever. But yeah, good. Be anxious to watch that develop. Good, good luck. Uh, I think it's important. I think that there, I really believe that we're starting to see a shift 
towards what we all preach daily, hourly, weekly, people are beginning to get it. Yesterday, and, and I'm in the middle of nowhere, South Carolina, and yesterday I was in further nowhere, South Carolina, at the school, and great school, great program. The chair was super-duper smart young man. They are at the largest enrollment they have ever had right now. Uh, community college enrollment as across the board are all down. However, this is the highest enrollment ever in skilled trade-specific uh, community college and trade school enrollment. Nine years ago, when they started the program, a big burgeoning cohort of kids was 27. Right now, they have 64. So I think we're trending well. But how do we keep that? His problem right now is space and contractor involvement. You know, like you're bringing these guys in, these young ladies in, help me place them, help come come talk to us about soft skills, come talk to us about arc flash protection, ball protection, all of those things that that pure theory of HVAC, yeah, that's the core of the program, but there's so much more to getting on a job, showing up, you got to drive there, you got to do that safely, you got to put the ladder up on a building safely. It, it's just super important, but I was I really love to see those numbers. I think it's really impressive. So we just got to keep digging and look for ways to help people like you guys are talking about with your program. So really be uh, interested to see that come out. So, well, I know I say this every week, but 51 minutes past the hour and I'm ready to start talking more, but I can't. So I have to have to curtail myself. Because I love to talk about this, how how people and trades go together and how people and marriage go together. And it's just a beautiful thing to try to figure out or, or at least learn, because I don't think we ever figure it out. But it's really good that you guys could come on and, and talk to us a little bit about the platform. How can how can people find out more about Blue Recruit if they want to possibly use it as a hirer or a hire e? How, how does how do they get in touch and how do they fill out what they need? Yeah, so you can just head to our website, uh, bluerecruit.com, and all the information to get started is going to be there. And if you can't remember the .com, just Google Blue Recruit, and we'll be the first thing that pops up. <laughs> and is it B-L-U-E like it ought to be, or is it B-L-U? Yep. We're not one of those fancy startups that has, like, <laughs> symbols and dot .ios. We sounds. <laughs> so one of the companies that I'm part of is Atom Power. Great, fun company, really, really making a difference in the electrical world. The car charger, the electrical vehicle charger that, that we have under the Atom Power banner is called Purple because our color is purple. But it's P-U-R-P-L because I didn't know this, but that's the cool thing to do now is to drop a letter. So I've been trying to figure out how to shorten my last name. <laughs> Just crump. Well, believe it or not, Rich, a lot of people do call me that. As, and that's probably the nicest thing I get called a lot of days. Yeah, we're, we're not one of those cool startups with all lowercase and missing letters. So y'all are just blue recruit. Blue recruit but it. it is one word. So that's about as fancy. As See, that's fancy. Enough right there. <laughs> all right, Tyler. So another fun recruiting story, which is about everything to me, but recruiting is enablement. It's hiring enablement more so than recruiting in my mind. That's what popped out. And uh, I feel like 
no matter what with you, Greg, we're going to end up talking about people and you like talking about people. I do, but in a good way. Yeah. <laughs> not, not in a judgy way. <laughs> not in like a mean girl kind of way, but in an helping and uh, enablement, enablement yeah. kind of way. My yeah. name is not Heather, so I'm not, I'm not mean, but it, it is cool. I mean, you think about what they're doing. It's really a unique way of, of connecting the dots for people, and, and that's what everybody needs, you know? You need a helping hand, whether it's on a big scale or small scale. Exactly. Well, it has been a blast having you guys on today. So uh, Rich and Gina, thank you so much for, for joining us here for this episode of Straight Outta Crumpton. It's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah. Thank Thanks you so all. much. It was, you know, when I was thinking about it, like, it's like air conditioning. It's not that sexy of a thing. But when you carve out, when you carve away the thing and you talk about how and why, Everything's pretty darn interesting, as we just proved. So thank y'all. Big time. For more episodes of Straight Outta Crumpton, like I mentioned earlier, you can always visit gregcrumpton.com or go check out the podcast feed on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts these days. Check it out there and uh, go check out more amazing conversations like what we had today. But for this one, for my co-hosts, Greg Crumpton and Wendy Williams, who uh, made another appearance on the podcast today, and our guests, Rich and Gina Camacho. Guys, thank you so much again for joining us. Everyone out there, thank you for joining us. We'll see you again next time.